Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. You've probably heard people on cable news talk about the suburban voter, and usually they mean white suburban voter. But that idea is stuck in the past. The suburbs are actually hella diverse. It's one reason why, more and more, they've become the backdrop of tensions between activists and police, including here in the Bay Area, in cities like Antioch. The protesters that are in Antioch are not protesters that came from the outside. They're people who came from Antioch, because Antioch has changed. Antioch is much bigger and more diverse than it used to be. There are more black and brown residents who wanted to live somewhere quieter or who were priced out of other cities. It's also where a group of young people are pushing for changes to their police department with a hunger strike. Today, why the suburbs like Antioch are central to understanding this moment in America. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Welcome to the Bay. I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. We do think of cities as where police kill people. But those numbers are actually seeing a slight decrease. There is a place where police killings of civilians are rising. And that is in suburbs. Sandia Dirks is a reporter with KQED. So the hunger strikers, who are now the police department occupiers, are a group of six young people who come from a, a range of backgrounds. Hi, my name is Shigufa Khan. So we are known as the Sixth Force to Strike, um, in which we are doing a hunger strike against the Antioch Police Department. 
You've got, for example, Shagufa Khan, who is a student. You've got Michelle Parmenter, who's a nursing student. You've got Lacey Brown, who owns a, a real estate business and is a mom. We think that other people are going to take care of it, that we don't have to get involved. Um, but it's just my personal opinion that, um, you know, nobody's going to take care of it unless you go out and do it. But all of them live and work and go to school in Antioch. They are very invested in Antioch. And while some of them come from other places, some of them have been protesting in San Francisco or in other places, they really felt it was time to bring this message against police brutality to Antioch. And how long have these particular activists been fighting for change in Antioch? Some of them have been protesting for a while. Some of them have been getting involved in the past year. And some of them were really sparked to get engaged after the protests around the deaths of Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmed Aubrey, and George Floyd. Um, so I am a citizen here in Antioch. I'm also a mother. Um, I'm a business owner. I'm a real estate agent. Um, and Lacey Brown um, grew up in Antioch in an interracial family, and she's raising her family there now. And she says that she used to go to San Francisco for protests. She used to go to the big cities for protests. That she didn't, she didn't think of police brutality as something that happened in her in her city. But that really changed. A video came out online of Officer Aaron Hughes of the Antioch Police. Um, pulling a gun on a on a gentleman sitting in his car. And so to see such a specific example of something that needs to be changed here in Antioch um, kind of opened the floodgates just for my knowledge because I didn't have a lot of knowledge of what had been going on in Antioch. Um, so Things you need to know about the Antioch Police Department to give some context is that it does not have a civilian review board. They don't have body cameras. They do their own oversight. And what, what KQED has actually found through some investigations is that that oversight is really limited, scarce, and sometimes non-existent. And what that means is that they often don't investigate when police kill someone. And so these these young people, these sort of younger generation of protesters growing up, raising families in Antioch, coming into a political awakening, realizing that this was happening there, became very aware of things that were happening at Antioch in the police department, to people in Antioch, and realized that nothing was being done about it. Antioch politicians, Antioch police, they're able to get away with a lot more because they don't have eyes on them. And so my goal is just to shine a light on, on what goes on, if it's, if it's wrong or if it's unjust. When other cities, in response to what happened in Minneapolis, in response to these kind of images of violent police that have been everywhere this summer, a lot of places have said, maybe we don't need police in our schools, right? Oakland, they decided, you know what? We're going to end policing in our schools. That's what we're going to do. Antioch went the opposite way. They got a grant to put six more school resource officers, which is basically cops in schools, um, into Antioch schools. And this was something that felt like a slap in the face to a lot of activists, that while other places were doing reforms, Antioch was doubling down on policing. 
In June, hundreds of people in Antioch went out to protest after the killing of George Floyd. And they were also angry at their own police department after new documents showed how Antioch hired an officer who abruptly left his job at the San Francisco Police Department back in 2019. Michael Malone shot and killed Luis Gangora Pat on April 7th, 2016. Basically, within 28 seconds, he kind of exits his patrol car and started shooting this homeless man, Luis Gangora Pat, and he kills him. And they investigated that, and before there was any discipline, uh, Officer Michael Malone retired from the police force. Now, he had earlier been a police officer in Antioch, where he had friends, where he knew people. Hmm. And so he returned to Antioch. And so to many, that was the last straw. All of these sort of protests, all of these protesters who said something has got to change in Antioch. We've got to have a conversation about race. We've got to have a conversation about police violence. We have to have this national reckoning that the rest of the country is having. They kept trying to do this and they felt really rebuffed by the powers that be. Uh, The chief of the Antioch Police Department, Tammany Brooks, um, who is the first African-American chief of the Antioch Police Department, um, he said, look, we're going to do an investigation into Officer Michael Malone. That investigation is still ongoing. And so they felt like this history of not being able to talk to the people who run Antioch was continuing. They particularly felt rebuffed by the mayor, Sean Wright, um, you know, saying that he was not paying attention, that he wasn't meeting with them. And so for them, this was, they were like, all right, what are, what are we going to do? And their big um, sort of move was to say, we are going to do a hunger strike. We are going to camp out in front of the police department, and we are going to stay there until this ends. What were these hunger strikers' demands? They had three demands. One of them is to fire to get rid of Officer Michael Malone, who shot someone in San Francisco and then came to Antioch. The other one was to get rid of the the head of the of the police union, which, as many politicians have pointed out, is not something that politicians can do. Police officers vote for their union heads. But the reason they wanted to do that was they felt that the union head had posted things on social media that were attacking protesters and were violent towards protesters and were suggesting that police should beat up protesters. Um, And so they felt that that should happen. And the third thing they wanted was a, a seat at the table was a way to be part of an advisory committee, a way to be part of the conversation about what's happening in Antioch, what's happening with police, what's happening with the city. And they really wanted to have a voice for community members to be able to speak on these issues. So those are the three demands that they asked for, which have not really been addressed. The police chief, Tammany Brooks, says we're still investigating Michael Malone. The mayor says that He's been open to talk to anyone who wants to call him or email him. Um, And they've, for the most part, largely ignored the protesters. A couple of city council members have come by and said hi to them as they've had their sort of camp out on the front lawn of the Antioch Police Department. But they really felt they needed to do something big, bold and brash to get people's attention. I mean, to get the media's attention. So what has happened with these actions over the past week? Where is it at now? They stuck it out. Hello, everyone. We are in front of Antioch Police Department starting our hunger strike. We're here asking for... 
So Shagufa Khan has been doing live updates every day from in front of the Antioch Police Department on Facebook live, basically telling folks how they're doing. Good morning, everyone. Day two of the hunger strike in front of Antioch Police Department asking for our three demands. Um, We just literally woke up. You know, morning after morning, they were there. So day four of the hunger strike, let's keep going, let's keep fighting, let's keep supporting each other. And for those of you who do not support this hunger strike, it's okay. You have your own opinions. But if you would like to have a special dialogue with why we're doing what we're doing, please come on down. Let's have a respectful, professional dialogue and talk about what the needs of our community are. They were sleeping in tents. They were trying to stay in the shade. They were drinking lots of water, but they weren't eating. Uh, Yesterday morning was extremely, you know, the smoke was in the air, so it was harder to be out. But today it's a nice, nicer weather. Finally, on Wednesday, after a Antioch City Council meeting that they felt was incredibly dismissive, five days after they started their hunger strike, they decided to stop. But only to stop not eating. They did not decide to stop camping out on the front lawn of the Antioch Police Department. And they are there still. We will still occupy the police department. We're not leaving. And we are still going to fight. But we were, we are not going to die for these so-called elected officials who will not try to work with us in these demands. All we want is accountability. That is it. Uh, okay, you guys. But <laughs> long story short, we ended the hunger strike. But we will still be here occupying the police department until our demands are met. Thank you all. I'll keep you guys all updated. Hope you guys are all well. The protesters have gotten mixed responses from the community. They've had eggs thrown at them, but they've also had people come by to bring them water. Sometimes people will drive by and honk their horns in support. And another time, a man drove by and said that a group of Trump supporters were going to come for them in the middle of the night. So far, they're still not satisfied with the response they've gotten from their local government. They still say the mayor won't talk to them. They still say the police chief won't talk to them. In fact, you had this moment when, before the city council meeting last week, uh, a bunch of of other protesters went to the mayor, who's also a chiropractor, went to his chiropractor's office. Let us know your comments on the hunger strike and to please request a special meeting for the demands of those strikers. They're starving on your police department's desk. That's all we're asking. And we're trying to get him to talk with, with them, you know, knocking on the door, calling out his name. We want to talk. We really just want to talk. Mayor Wright, where did you go, buddy? And apparently he sort of turned off the lights and called police uh, and made these public comments that he was under attack. Uh, About 30 minutes before this meeting, as I was trying to prepare, um, individuals came and began knocking on my door and banging my window and did that for about an hour. When I went out to address them, they had their phones ready to record. And when I went to record them, they just ducked and hid. Um, no conversation was 
um, was asked for. It was an intimidation uh, tactic. And I just don't think this is politics. So the question is, is the mayor hiding? Are the protesters too loud? What does discourse look like when a mayor won't talk to you? What does discourse look like when you feel like you have to go to the chiropractor's office of your mayor and knock on his door? Um, Antioch really needs to talk to each other. It's always been an issue. They really need to have this difficult conversation about race. Coming up, why this story about Antioch is also a story about the suburbs and how they're a central part of this movement around racial justice and police violence. Hey there, this is Alan Montecilio. I'm the editor of The Bay. KQED is hoping to learn more about how you listen to podcasts and what you love about them. So if you have just 10 minutes to spare, please consider filling out our podcast survey at kqed.org slash podcast survey. I know there's so much going on right now, but if you have the time, we'd really, really appreciate it. This will help us, help me, Devin, Erica, all of us at KQED continue to bring you shows that matter to you. So once again, that's kqed.org slash podcast survey. And thanks. You've been reporting on changes in Antioch over the past few years, including for a podcast called American Suburb. With co-host Devin Kadiyama. With co-host Devin Kadiyama. Are you surprised by what's happening here so far? Oh, no. This is absolutely Antioch. And you kind of need to know the context of Antioch and how it's changed over the past 20, 25 years to understand where these young people are coming from. The Antioch that they've grown up in is a very different Antioch than the Antioch that came before. Antioch was a sundown town. It was a almost entirely white working class suburb um, on the mouth of the Delta. And it isn't that anymore. That has drastically shifted in the last uh, 20 plus years. And the reasons for that are complex. You had waves of folks coming out to the suburbs for a bigger house, a bigger yard, better schools for the same suburban American dream, but folks who were black. Right. Or folks who were Asian or folks who were Latino, like different folks. And they weren't always received very well. And then you had uh, other waves of folks who were displaced from cities like San Francisco and Oakland and even Richmond. People who couldn't afford rising rents because of gentrification, because of the tech takeover, because cities are becoming increasingly for the white and wealthy. And the only place they could rent was out in Antioch. So Antioch has undergone this transformation, and that's very much been part of the context of, of these young protesters sort of coming up in Antioch. But they became aware of what was happening in their city, of what was happening in Antioch, and they decided it's time to actually take the fight against police brutality, the fight against white supremacy to these suburbs. So why is the fact that Antioch is a suburb so significant to this story? mostly white suburbs that have seen what feels like drastic demographic changes in the past few decades, have responded with a lot of racism and pushback against those demographic changes. The story of Antioch as a dangerous place 
started very much around the same time that Antioch's demography began to change, that it became more black and brown. And while there is some accuracy to a rise in crime, a lot of that also has to do with the rise in population. It got bigger. It was a smaller suburb. Now it's over 100,000 people. But those things have been tied together in the white imagination, particularly, that somehow the new people coming in changed the city, made it more dangerous. And the response to that was police, right? The response to that is to police these new people. And historically, the suburbs were made for white folks who didn't want to live in the city centers where all the folks of color were. I actually don't think I understood that until I was older because I grew up in and around very diverse suburbs of the Bay Area and Fairfield and Vallejo. I don't want to completely cast this as just like old white residents hate new black brown people. There have been kind of really interesting things that happen around the diversity that occurs in suburbs. We don't talk about it. It's not part of the kind of national story we tell ourselves about suburbia. Suburb is still code for white, but suburbs are the most diverse space in American life. The majority of African-Americans, the majority of Latinos, and the majority of Asian folks all live in suburbs. And suburbs are also not economically monolithic. There are wealthy suburbs, there are poorer suburbs. Increasingly, more poverty is located in suburbia. So this myth we have of suburbs as wealthy white places, as enclaves for a certain kind of American dream, that myth has eroded, but the story we tell ourselves stays the same. Do you think it's fair to say that even though there have been protests everywhere and that there very clearly is racism and police violence that happens in the suburbs, that this is still usually an issue that's associated with big cities? It absolutely is an issue that in the the narrative of, of sort of America, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves, it is absolutely uh, seen as a quote-unquote urban problem, not a suburban problem. And the reason of that is the myth of American suburbia, a myth that belongs in the 1950s, a myth that has been changing for 30 years, because it's no longer true that suburbs are white spaces or that they're wealthy spaces. Suburbs are the most diverse and complicated part of American life in many ways. Um, They don't have infrastructure that cities do. They don't have activist infrastructure or nonprofit infrastructure that cities do. And yet they increasingly have the problems that used to be associated with cities. But I'm also going to point you to Ferguson and Kenosha, places that have played key roles in Black Lives Matter, Ferguson is a suburb of St. Louis. It's a majority black suburb that was policed by a majority white, an almost entirely white police department. Uh, Kenosha is also a suburban bedroom community. Suburbs have been where black people and brown people are getting shot and killed by police. So yes, they do not have the same infrastructure of activism that cities like Oakland, that has a black radical tradition that goes back, you know, beyond the Black Panthers, but certainly to the Black Panthers. But this is also places where people become activists when something happens there and push the rest of us to pay attention. And so the infrastructure for activism does not exist in, a, in the kind of way that it does in a place like Oakland. 
But you do have people who have been fighting against that. And what these young people, what these young strikers do is they make it clear that that those numbers are growing. Right. And that because there are more folks of color in suburbs, those folks, when they can, when they do, are feeling empowered to push back against systemic racism in suburbs that have not always welcomed them because of racism. It's interesting because now we're seeing suburbs come up in the 2020 presidential campaign, especially being held up against cities as, um, you know, these lawless places and suburbs, on the other hand, as in need of protection. When we talk about the suburban voter, we just mean white folks, right? We just mean white women. That's the suburban voter kind of wrapped up in a bow, the soccer mom. And it's in suburbs where you saw the rise of Trumpism. Uh, And one of the reasons for that, I believe, is because you've had this demographic shift, that this place that was defined as white space for so long, as the kind of apotheosis of the American dream and very much only white American dream, was all of a sudden changing. And this demographic shift, I think, alongside a larger economic shift that happens for a nexus of reasons, including late stage capitalism, um, were tied together in people's imaginations and they felt their suburbs were under threat. And I've thought this since we reported in, you know, in 2016, 2017, back on Antioch for the first time. So it's interesting when that language gets parroted and echoed by the president and when he starts proclaiming that suburbs are under threat from MS-13 or from protesters or from all of these things, the thing is, Suburbs aren't under threat from that. Whiteness is. A white segregated suburb is. But the suburbs have already changed. The protesters that are in Antioch are not protesters that came from the outside. They're people who came from Antioch because Antioch has changed. So knowing all this, uh, knowing all this context, um, even nationally, where does this all leave people like the hunger strikers that you talk to in Antioch, people who want change and accountability from their local governments and their police departments? It leaves them still fighting, right? It leaves them like the rest of the country on one side of, of a battle between police accountability and seeing police as protectors. I don't know what that gap means or if it can ever be squared, but I do know that the demographics of Antioch, like the demographics of the country, are shifting. And I do know that there were people that threw eggs at them, but there were people that brought them water. And it leaves them and their voices louder and more engaged and more encouraged to speak because other people are speaking. And so the thing that I will say about Antioch is that its activist base is only growing. Those who will demand accountability from government are the ones that grew up in the changed Antioch. The ones that saw the racism that they, many people felt firsthand. The ones that really are invested in making their community home. When we were talking to a bunch of people back in 2016, so we would talk to all these young kids, and they would none of them would say that they were from Antioch. They'd be like, I'm from Oakland, I'm from Richmond. Even if like they had left Oakland when they were three years old. But it was because they didn't feel welcomed. And when you don't feel welcomed, you don't want to claim a place. 
the difference with these young adults, these students, these parents, these folks who are camping out, is they claim Antioch. And they're claiming their right to make it better. On Saturday, Shagufa Khan, Lacey Brown, and other activists made signs and marched through the city in protest. The event was called White Supremacy Out of Antioch. Then on Sunday, they were back in front of the Antioch Police Department building. Hey everyone, we are on day 10 of being out in front of Antioch Police Department, um, as you can see. Thanks to Sandia Dirks, who's a reporter for KQED. She also covered Antioch for a podcast series back in 2017 called American Suburb with our very own Devin Karayama. We'll link to that in our show notes. Sandia has reached out to Antioch Mayor Sean Wright, but so far, she hasn't heard back. This episode of The Bay was produced by Alan Montecilio and Shannon Lynn, who we want to shout out for helping us produce The Bay for the past two weeks. Shouts out to Shannon. The Bay is made at your public media station, KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Talk Wednesday. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.